winter um, warham. Yeah. Winter have to fuck with us. Yeah. Winter, uh, winter is uh, hunters. Um, have to fuck with fast eyes. Those need hunters need fast eyes. Winter have to fuck with those. And and that doesn't sound like any English. No, they, I know. They, they loved it. The, the, the actors, actors thought that. that was really like, funny. Winter have to fuck with those. Yeah, they they <laughs> thought that was really funny. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the first installment of the LSA 2017 Linguistic Institute podcast. I'm Kevin McGowan. My guests today are University of Kentucky professors Brenna and Andrew Bird, who will be teaching a course at the Institute on Constructed Languages. title of the course? Uh, it currently has a pretty boring title. I'm, I imagine we'll change it before the, the institute. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a good salesman, but <laughs> it's. I think it's just Introduction to Constructed Languages. How does this work? Um, well, so it's going to be a pretty broad course. We'll talk about the history of, of conlangs. Um, we'll talk about how, uh, you know, uh, conlangs have been used in the media and for various other purposes in the past. Now, the reason that we're giving the course uh, is that we ourselves have con- have created conlangs. So we created two constructed languages for a video game this past year called Far Cry Primal. And uh, so a big focus of the course we'll talk about, you know, we'll, and we'll be talking about, you know, how did we create the, the languages? Why did we make the decisions that we made? And Brenna will talk uh, in particular about the social choices that we made. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's what interests me the most as a sociolinguist is that um, conlangs are the way that conlangs are, or even the reason that conlangs exist is because people are trying to find a hypothetical. They, they invent a culture. They invent a people. And they need a language to go with this invented culture and people. Mm. And that's something, first off, I find interesting because the viewers, um, there's this understanding from the viewers that, yeah, English is not the language of other cultures, that you can't have another culture and just put English on them a completely foreign culture and just put English on them. Um, that was one of the reasons Far Cry Primal actually wanted to talk to us because they figured if they're going to set something in a prehistoric time frame, it would be very strange if they were speaking modern English or even old English or some yeah, kind well, of, they, right? They actually tried it. Yeah. Right? So they tried a normal English. They tried caveman English. Huh. And it just sounded ridiculous, both of them. I find the, the concept of authenticity really interesting when it comes to conlangs because we, we're inventing a culture and we're inventing a people and we're inventing a language to go with it. And um, especially when, when people start, when fans get interested in it and they have these uh, opinions about what actually is correct yeah. For the culture, for the people. I mean, it's it's an interesting, it's an interesting experiment in the relationship between language and culture, and how exactly would you be able to say something in Klingon, or is that a completely foreign concept? Mm-hmm. And I think it's actually um, it's interesting specifically when you look at how people describe why they made the choices they did for languages. 
like for Klingon, it was supposed to be so foreign because Klingon was the the people were supposed to be so foreign that yeah, it was alien. Yeah, and it was the phonology be, was alien, right? So, right. The so syntax they, was alien. They they chose the absolute least likely thing speak. typologically hmm. and put it in. Yeah. And that's so it was specifically the choice was to make something that was so foreign. And I mean, most people, when they hear Klingon, they're not going to go home and learn it and parse it and go, oh, that is really strange type typological. Um, that is really strange typologically. Right? right. Right. They're not really going to think about that. But that's that kind. That's the kind of thought process that goes into these language constructions. And there's also the the worry when you create a language that it brings with it cultural baggage. And there's always the fear that if the language sounds too much like a known language, you're equating that culture that you invented with that known culture. Hmm. And so that was an issue that we had with Far Cry Primal is, okay, we're making caveman, right? Well, there's already assumptions that the players and the creators have about what caveman sounds like. However, if we made it have, say, um, like in the case of Navi, if we had all kinds of clicks and African clicks, are we, are we they telling... They objectives, not clicks. Objectives, sorry. They had objectives. So with Navi, with objectives, you know, are we saying that languages that have objectives are like the Navi people? Are we saying they're more primitive? Mm-hmm. And that's something that um, people who construct languages um, for especially things that are mass media... You have to be careful with because there there is a lot of you're bringing your own ideological views of languages and cultures with you when you create it. And so that was something that we were very specific about. We didn't want Ouija to sound like anything. We didn't want. But we wanted to sound human. Right. We wanted to sound human. We wanted it to sound like it's almost something. And it was really interesting when they were doing they have software. So they have this gigantic studio. It's called a mocap studio, motion capture. And um, all of the actors are in there in these suits with these little baubles on them that the computer catches. And so the computer, and they also have dots on their face, and the computer does facial recognition. Um, So the actors are actually speaking the constructed language while they're acting in the studio, in the mocap studio. Mm -hmm. And the computers were having a hard time. Usually they have a, algorithms based on known languages to catch where the mouth is moving, and they were having a hard time figuring out what to do with our new languages. Well, so was... we had to tell them, okay, here are some languages that are similar. Hmm. Um, so we, they asked us, well, what, what's a similar language? What does Winja sound like? We said, well, it's kind of like a cross between German and Japanese with some Cherokee. With some Cherokee. Yeah. As, as you do. <laughs> yeah. And that, I mean, they, they selected, I think, German. German. But it's, it's you'll find this interesting. So uh, we, we said German. Yeah. So we're like, I don't know, German, I guess. Uh, but all of the, the speakers of, of Wenja, the actors, that is, spoke English, right, mm-hmm. natively. So their shahs are going to be rounded. Yeah. But this isn't specifically for the actors. This is for the little dudes walking around in the game that are just AI, that are just the computer NPCs or whatever. And they're not going to have lip rounding when they say sha mm-hmm. because German They use the, the German language. language model, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So you can tell the difference between an AI and uh, and a, a performed character yes. based Absolutely. on lip rounding? Uh, well, well, 
also, ba- well, uh, yes, that won't we'll be, just leave it. That there. won't yeah. be the most salient cue. I think, <laughs> I think what you're. It depends on the actor. Some of them, but also the, they did a nice thing where they took some of the actors, the main actors, and they did some of the AI voices too. So there's all kinds of mixed stuff in. But yeah, um, it is really, uh, it was a fascinating process. So one of the things you said didn't surprise me very much. It sounded a bit like, I mean, one of the things people do. Uh, if you look at Disney movies, you look at mm. you look at anything, one of the things people do is they use accents. They use mm-hmm. performed varieties of, of, of accent to create character cheaply and, and quickly. And so you're at, you actually have to work against that, right? You have to work against uh, activating people's expectations and biases about what, a, what this voice is like. You have, to, you have to work against that to create something that sounds that doesn't activate those biases. Is that... So, um... We wanted to. <laughs> I'll say that. We, we, that was something that was very important for us. Yeah. Um, however, you have to strike this balance between what not activating any, any prior knowledge, but also making something, quote, authentic. So the first, uh, the first couple of languages that we pitched to Far Cry Primal um, – the creative team, they thought sounded too advanced. They too said modern. It, well, yeah, I mean, they said they thought it sounded like classical Greek. Well, to, so the main language of the game was originally just Proto-Indo-European, ah. and they heard it, and they're like, "There was somebody savvy enough to say that sounds like classical Greek to me." No, they didn't say that. They oh. they just they said I said it they sounded did. like Slavic or. Mm. It did, or maybe even Latin, but they they're like that just sounds too not like cavemen, right? Yeah, they yeah okay. Yeah. That sounds like they have wheels, yes. <laughs> right? Which they there did. are no horses in the game. I'm sorry, we can't do this language. <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of that was something where we had to, and that was originally going to be the main game, uh, the main language of the game. But um, they were like, that's that sounds too advanced. It sounds too. Um, I mean, inflected. It, it was. It was just too. Huh. So we had to work with. We wanted to work against conceptions, preconceptions of of what things you the, those kinds of things that that light up associations. We wanted to work against certain language ideologies, but at the same time, you have to you have to work with some in order to make something believable for your audience. Mm. And that, I think, is the hardest part, being a linguist, <laughs> um, working on something for, the, for mass media, for, for, um, for a film, possibly, or, or a TV show or whatever, is that you, you are very much restricted by the audience and who's going to accept this as an actual language and so you have to you have to balance both no you don't want to make any kind of associations that would make someone feel like you were making negative associations about their culture or their language however at the same time we have assumptions about what cavemen talked like cavemen and cave women they talked a certain way and it's kind of ooga booga, right? It's mm-hmm. this unta right? And yeah. so we did that in a well, sense. But we kind of were. So initially, so we, we proposed for, for Proto-European for Pi to be the main language and for one of the tribes to speak a pigeon variety mm. of, of Pi. And so they heard the pigeon and they're like, we like that. Ah. Let's use that for the main language. We're like, but 
that's pigeon. That's not a, the main, you know, so. How did you pigeonify? Well, so we, uh, well, so essentially what we did was we assumed that all inflections were gone. Uh, we, because this was supposed to be like pre-proto-proto-Indo-European. Well, the pigeon um, was originally for like the, the kind of Neanderthal-like folks that don't right. really talk a lot. They just kind of come in contact, so they kind of would have picked it up. Right. So yeah. that's why. But they why. were also doing super archaic things because they had picked it up from like an old. Like not having F2. <laughs> Things like isn't that, isn't that the yeah, we 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 tried that. We tried that, that was so funny. and they about died laughing. And they said no, they can't. We, we, we actually, going around going. <laughs> you know, we no. we had to take like, we, but we wanted to take that and do something with it. So what we decided was the thing about Neanderthals, at least what some people believe, is that the language that you know it's super loud and intense right mm. and so we we took that intensity and we and we taught the actors to be really intense just don't be really high and don't be really loud just be yeah. intense without being loud and so if you listen to the the main udom the, the this tribe that we're talking about the main udom actors that's how they talk udom really. is the language uh, udom is well it's a dialect of Wendy, yeah. Oh, okay yeah but no you asked how how we did it so things like um, so you know about Ablaut in English, the sing sang song. Well, that goes all the way back to Proto Indo European, but we think that Ablaut was actually created at some point within early Proto Indo European. Okay. And that originally sing sang song was something like song song song. Right? Ah, I see. And so that actually was something that we we gave to the the pigeon variety, and that became a feature of Wenja as well. So you back that up. Do you do you sort of normalize or regularize uh, irregular verbs and that sort of thing? Or? Uh, well, so the it's it's complicated. So regular verbs in in, in Proto Indo European. Uh, it's mostly about the, the aspect system, mm-hmm. and that's not there at all. There is no tense. There oh, really okay. is no aspect yeah. aside from a prefix. But the, this is, by the way, these are the sorts of things we will be talking about probably just for a day or so within the course. Like, all right, we created this language. We were essentially asked to do the ooga-booga for certain things, right? How do we justify this not only linguistically, sociolinguistically, but from my point of view, how do we justify this as an Indo-Europeanist? Because all these mm. decisions I made or that the team made, uh, we we would feel terrible as scholars if they weren't backed up by something within Proto-European. So we oh, do I believe see. this strongly trochaic uh, rhythm within within Wenja that we've got the Uga Booga, essentially Uga Booga. Actually, you know, there's something within Proto-European uh, called the basic as- accent principle that we can say, okay, that's actually, you know, they like to have initial stress, so we can, you know, uh, nice. we can do that. And those kinds of things we've been talking about too. And yeah, so, but it seems to me you you must be you, you say there's this, there's this constraint with the audience, but there's also constraints with the actors, right? Because yes. so did you did you <laughs> push? You've already talked a little bit about sort of articulatory setting, so they're obviously coming in with their English-like articulatory setting. Right. Uh, they, they, they've got their English-like prosody. They've got their English-like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, pausing. Well, and what, two something. of our actors were actually uh, Spanish speakers. Well, Spanish-English bilinguals, but I think Spanish was their native phonology. Mm-hmm. So um, that was actually useful because they were... they. Uh, that was, I mean, actually, a lot of them were bilingual. A lot of the, the actors Most were bilingual. English-French. 
English, French, um, English, uh, English, Persian. Uh Um, Yeah, most of them were bilingual. There were there were a handful of people who weren't. But for the most part, yeah. Um, So that was that was useful. Um, the, The ones I think that had the hardest time were ones who, well, so TC knows Italian, he said. So that was a bit, so he was having some hard parts with the shows and, and some of the, so there were, there were some things that were, that were difficult um, based on their language knowledge. TC's the actor who plays the shaman in the yes. character. Yes. Yeah. TC Carson. Yeah. Oh my gosh. He had so, that poor man, he had so much to memorize. I'd say half the dialogue. As sometimes yeah. he would get, get a new script the day of, and he is a professional. He oh, likes yeah. to know everything. Like, he is a professional actor. Like I mean, they all were, but, like, yeah. he does not like getting things the day of. And he he did he did an amazing job. So, yeah, no, he... He, he would actually, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. he would actually sit down and, you know, grab me or Brenna and be like, okay, I need to break this apart morphologically. Nice. Of course, he didn't use that word, but, you know, they just, they have the Wenja, and then they have the translation. He's, like, crossing out the translation. He's like, I want you to, to write this up just with the literal, you know, translation. So, Did not, you know. The transliteration? I or? go to the Wenja village. It's Wenja village to go I. Yeah. And so, he would memorize every single right. You know, affix and, and well, they actually weren't affixes; they're clitics. But you know, every every <laughs> single you know component of that sentence, yeah, uh, and that that helped him. It sounded like you you were hinting at a strong Warfian view within this within this industry. Is that is that a fair <laughs> statement? Right. It, it seems like you mean from from the point of the conlangers or from the point of the the uh, the development team. I I. It sounded like it was both, right? But it sounded like one of the problems you might have with a Klingon is the audience might say, oh, a Klingon couldn't say that, right? Mm. What I meant there was just modern idioms and things like that. So that was actually one of the harder parts with our our translations is um, we would get scripts with modern idioms. And it would be, um, they would ask uh, something like um, many weeks or something. And you go, week what's a week <laughs> what? bucket. what's a bucket right right well they they were pretty good about stuff like that but okay. but it's it's i but think more it's subtle things like more subtle thing. things and, and i think it's it's like actually metaphors that they don't notice uh, that we live by yeah uh that one andrew's favorite one is is tasty so <laughs> i mean it's not so much that you know they wouldn't have had a word for tasty but we didn't have a word and it did feel very mm, that's tasty that like that you Nobody could really imagine. You it's know, a very the, English thing to say. The, the cavemen sitting around going, mm, this was too, I don't know. It was kind of silly at the time. So we, we made uh, we made an idiom, finger looking good. Pali Klai John Which literally what was it makes... again? Pali Klai John Su. So it's actually Pali Like Pali? Polis. I don't know. There's It's Pollux in Latin. But, okay. And then Lai John, that's actually licking. Uh-huh. So Lai is our lick part. The on is a um, kind of a. Uh, suffix, you know, to, to indicate a participle. And then su is good. So palik lijan su, palik lijan su. Nice. Yeah, because yeah. I can't have stops in, in Dakota. But to, to return to your question about the Warfian stuff, mm-hmm. they, there were certain things that, that the creative team did believe, right? So they believed that... Yeah. that and, and, and you also saw this, you know, in the, in the gaming community. They believed that language was simpler 
They believe some some of the gaming community believe this is impossible. They didn't speak language back then, right? <laughs> and so, really so it was actually really cool for us because it was an opportunity for us to educate people, right? Yeah. So we're like, guys, you're you're you know you're doing this kind of broken English for this, but they spoke language just like we did. It's just a different language, right? They mm. might not have had say past tense or whatever, but they still spoke it. Yeah, there's lots yeah. of languages that don't have tense. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. No, that was that was a that was a that was interesting. I mean, there were there were a lot of there were a lot of many moons, and you're like, oh, okay. I mean, yeah, I guess that's well, how you that would say good, it. That was good. That was good. That got away the whole modern notion right of the modern notion. And things like but there was a lot of this this at first there, it, and it also depended on writers. Um, yeah. And some of the writers would argue with each other, right? They would they would get somebody and and. Um, it would be a really interesting, but we would have a lot of discussions on on what exactly is appropriate for the time, mm. um, and so it's not. I mean, it's it definitely is that you know, it's not that you can't say something. It's just, I mean, I I think this is when you talk about say directions. You know, different languages don't have, they don't make reference to certain directions, right? And so, um, like or they'll up the mountain, down the mountain. Right, exactly. And it's and so there's you know if they're learning English, then if they come in contact with somebody who is an English speaker or another language, where they talk about you know di- they talk about different directions, like go left or right, they know they consciously know. Oh, right, I have to switch. There's a lot of work on this. You know, oh yeah, okay. Now I I'm gonna switch and t- t- give you directions in your way of giving directions. So it's not you can't learn it. Or you couldn't import it into your language, but if it's not a concept in your in your native language, then you just you wouldn't have it unless you had like you'd have to have some kind of interaction with another thing. And so um, we had some borrowings from. Well, just to follow up on your, your yeah. point about about directions, we actually use the the pi directions. So uh, the word for left mm-hmm. is to the north. The word for right is to the south. Dakistad, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and left is Laiwa. So the the Udam were Laiwa B, so from the north, right? Yeah. And, and, and in front of them was to the east, and behind uh-huh. them was to the west. And this actually goes back to the Proto-Indo-European rituals, right? So they would do rituals in a certain Face direction. Face toward the sun or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Brenna, I think you were making a point before about language contact between your constructed languages in the game and, uh, and borrowing. There were so there were types of things that say the Winja wouldn't have n- wouldn't have natively themselves that they would have borrowed from mm-hmm. uh, the Azila, and so that was something where we had because um, they're two different, completely different cultures, and the Azila were um, very they were very advanced. They had um, they worshipped a sun god. They built. Um, they built structures. They, um, I don't, do we have agriculture for them yet? Or is yeah. it just hinted? Yeah, well, they okay. teach agriculture at the end of the game. Right, right. So yes. It, it, yeah. So they alert. have, right, they, <laughs> they have agriculture, right? And then the um, the Winja are more nomadic hunters. Um, and so whenever they would, they would learn technology from the Izila, then they would borrow the word from the Izila. And so we have we have some and the udam also the udam would then if they borrowed something then so we 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 wanted it to in all cases feel like how actual languages would work 
And so um, I, I don't think that's, I don't know if that's really Worfian, <laughs> but um, it's definitely Worfian light. Yeah. Um, that, and I, I definitely believe that you, you're, your, your culture is obvious in your language. And then when you borrow a cultural aspect or technology or something, of course, you bring that into your own language. You know, we, we ultimately worked for Ubisoft, right? Yeah. So, so at the end of the day, they, they told us we like this, we don't like this. So they gave us a lot of creative freedom here. But they really liked the idea of there being no tense in mm-hmm. the languages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that... In Winja. In, in Ouija, yeah. Right. That they don't really understand the notion of past and future and things like that. And so we gave that in the grammar, right? Now, of course... Well, so, no, it wasn't that they don't understand notions of past and future. It was just that the Ouija are grounded in the now. Oh, that's right. That's right. I'm sorry. Yes. They're the grounded Ouija, in the now. The Ouija are grounded in the now. That's right. They don't... Um, and so they... Uh, the... Um, the... The, both the director and the the um, I mean, everybody basically was uh, kept talking about how the Ouija, they're a primal culture, and so they're not thinking about what's happening next week. They're not thinking about you know what happened last year. They're thinking because if they're not thinking about what's happening right now, they could get eaten, right? Yeah. So it's a very violent world out there, and so they're very much grounded in the now. And so then when we talked about well, um, you were thinking about this this version of Winja doesn't have a tense. They loved that. They thought that was just so cool because, ah, see, they're in the now. There's no reason yeah. to talk about the past and the future. We did have a completive. Um, so if you if you'd completed an action, you would put a who at the end at the beginning of a word. And so if you wanted to say, um, yeah, he's I killed him. You could you would use instead of guan or guana is the verb to kill and then hu guan would be like killed, mm-hmm. so um, that we use that a couple different times to indicate okay it's done yeah it's over with it's not happening anymore, um, but otherwise to talk about past and future of course you would talk about well this is going to happen using some kind of adverb or something you know you talk about well you know. Many moons ago, right, Palumansipa, um, you would have these, like... Uh, to qualify the time. Right, to qualify when it happened, yeah. right? You yeah. would have other ways of... of so they, it's not that they didn't express future and past. They, well, they did. They, I mean, English expresses future just fine. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, and, and German doesn't really have a future tense, right? Yeah. So... Um, but they, but they also... They, so they wanted Wenja to be grounded... But they wanted the izila, the silach. They wanted that to, movement-wise, they wanted them to float over everything. And so actually the prosody of Proto-Indo-European, and izila is basically Proto-Indo-European, is very sing-songy, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, it, you know, so silach me, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's very up and down versus, you know, there's not really uh, stress per se. It's pitch accent. At least mm-hmm. that was the, the goal. Uh, and they like that that's how it sounded because it kind of conveyed this character, this rising above everything and always looking, what are, 360 degrees, I think is how yeah. they describe mm. it. Yogi master, mm. basically. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there was a lot of, there was a lot of that. That was actually very, they, um, I mean, there wasn't a lot, but there, there was, um, the, the creative team were very excited when the language mirrored the culture that they had come up with. 
They really liked that. They would get very excited. So one of the things, Winja is, um, has this uh, stress pattern that is supposed to sound like drumming. Oh, okay. So, it's supposed to be syllable timed, uh, trochaic. Winja warham. Winja warham. Yeah. to fuck with us. Yeah. Wantar is a hunter's. Um, have to fuck we fast eyes, those need hunters need fast eyes. Want to have to fuck with those, and and that doesn't sound like any English. No, they, I know. They, they loved it. The, the, the actors, actors thought that, that was really like, funny. Want to have to fuck with those. Yeah, they, they thought that was really funny. That <laughs> so, was one of their favorite lines. So in the creation of this language, not only in the creation, but in the negotiations with uh, with the company that was that was contracting the creation of the language, you had to you had to deal with. Articulatory phonetics, phonology, typology, morphology, syntax. Well, of course, mm-hmm. historical. Language ideologies, historical. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you draw, you're really drawing on everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was, yeah. So uh, my question for you is, I'm a student who wants to take your class. Mm-hmm. What's, is, is there an ideal student profile? Is there, is there something I, I ought to know on my way in? or? No. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the cool thing about conlangs is, and why I think that's also their appeal is they start from a point of nothing and they, they're created out of, I mean, you, everything is created then. And so everybody, you, let me see, how do I phrase that? I mean, they, they, they come out of, they're completely created. And so then there's not anything that the creator isn't aware of, I guess. Right? Well, a lot of I'm sure there are a lot of things. Yeah, that's pass true. below the level of awareness. Right? That's true. That's true. I don't know. I think it's. I think that's one of the interesting things about conlangs is that, especially when you have a. I mean, I think all conlangs are created by linguists, um, professional conlangs, things that are actually used in movies, um, and such are created by linguists, and so. That's also, it's really fun because all linguists like to talk about linguistics. And so you can find mm-hmm. a lot out there about the creation and about the why and the how and all of that. And so I feel like you could come in and learn about linguistics through conlangs. And that's actually kind of what we've been doing. Um, as mainly Andrew. I, he's he's uh, taken on, um, he's been doing a blog where he posts um bits and pieces of the languages and using them as tools to teach linguistics. So you want to know about the sounds of Winja. Well, this is what they sound like. Here is the phonetic inventory. Wow, what's phonetics? Um, Or, and also to teach Proto-Indo-European. And so that's kind of, that's kind of our hope also is really, yeah, if you're interested in conlangs, guess what? You're interested in linguistics. Yeah. And um, we're kind of hoping we want to do this um, after this course for the LSA. We want to do a, a course here at the university on conlangs and kind of use it as a, hey, guess what? You like conlangs? I bet you'd like linguistics. And so use that as a way to teach linguistics. Because like I said, all of the, the conlang creators love to talk about their creations. And so you sure. can find a lot. David Peterson has a whole book about conlangs and, and how he created uh, we created um, Dothraki and uh, the the dark elfish language for the Avengers movies and things like that, 
And um, we're, we want to use that for the summer book. A summer book for the summer. We want to use that for the summer institute. Oh, that'll be the textbook. Yeah, I think, for and the then we'll do institute. some some readings articles. on other articles and stuff, and and maybe get some. Um, I'd actually, I, I'm I'm I contacted a couple of people already. We're we're hoping to get some Conlang creators to Skype in and talk about their experiences. Oh, and, that's fantastic. Yeah, because I mean, how else? I mean, I I feel like. You ask us about our experience, we can talk for days, right? Everybody wants to talk I mean, about we, it. We worked so hard on this project, and and we learned so much. That was the it really think, shows. I mean, it's gorgeous. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Uh, you know the the amount that we learned just working with these guys. I mean, it was just an entirely different world, right? Going from yeah. academia to that, and they learned, I think, a lot from us as well. So yeah, it was nice. But yes, we would love to get guest speakers to come in and also perhaps get uh, one of the writers from Primal to, to talk to yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, I would love to get Ke- Kevin Short is, is uh, he does really well on Skype. I already had him. He was one of the head writers on um, Far Cry Primal and he, he already Skyped into my um, Germanic mythology class to talk about screenwriting and um, adapting something in an authentic way because what mm-hmm. I do is I have the students read a saga and then try and adapt, adapt it authentically for um, a modern audience. And so he talks about adaptation and creating a world um, that feels authentic, even though it's a completely invented... I mean, you you have almost nothing from this time period because we have nothing from 12,000. Sorry, 12,000 years ago. We don't have anything. And so... Well, that's actually interesting. You know, a lot of of, uh, my buddies in the Indo-European world are like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You didn't use Nostratic? You know, mm-hmm. you didn't, uh, I'm like, I don't know Nostratic, man. And I don't know if I believe in it, you know? Yeah. So, uh. so we, we kind of had to just, you know, create our own proto, proto language. Yeah, because most people, most people guess Proto-European like 7,000 years ago. Uh, no. so. 7,000? Between 5 to 7,000. 5 to 7. Ago. It's likely about 5,500 years ago. So the so. DNA evidence is just making things pretty much, I, I think, very com- convincing that the dispersion of of what yeah. mitochondrial DNA through yeah so yeah there's a huge study about six months uh, ago about a year ago, which uh, demonstrated that there were these migrations to Europe about 4,500 years ago. Huh. Um, Is it 4,500 years ago or 4,500 BC? I always 4,500 years ago. Right. Okay. Yeah. I always get them. I might be getting the dates wrong, but um, yeah. but yeah, it's pretty. But yes, you were talking about twelve thousand years ago. Right, we don't so have much. We don't have anything. Yes. <laughs> we really, it's a, it's a kind of a shot in the dark. So, um, they have we have some archaeological stuff and whatnot, and they also they uh, they talk to archaeologists and anthropologists mm-hmm. and stuff, also for that time period. So I had him Skype in to talk about that, and so it would be fun for him to also Skype in and talk to the students. And that's where what we're thinking is is it's really going to be a a course for anybody, a course really for anybody who has ever wondered. What is that thing in Duff- what is that thing in Game of Thrones that they're speaking, and why does it sound the way it does? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, who's ever been interested in Klingon, or um, you know, maybe hopefully has ever heard about Far Cry Primal? Um, it's it's not uh, it's really for anyone. It would be a complete. We'll, we'll kind of go through all the different aspects of linguistics in the course. Yeah, and it, it strangely I hadn't realized this before. It really fits the theme nicely of language through time and space. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that uh, that that knocks my socks off, and I apologize for having that happen in a small sound booth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'll cut that. 
<laughs> that was funny. <laughs> uh, uh, well, thank you both. Uh, thank you. I appreciate thank you. you coming to the to the Sound Lab today, and uh, and uh, your class as it sounds wicked exciting. I think. I think. Thank you. I hope it feels. I hope. I hope you have to teach two sections. It, well, it, if if uh, you know, it really is open for everyone. And we're really interested in people who have experience with con legs. Maybe they're passionate about a, a TV show or video game or whatever, and they know the language very, really well. But uh, Yeah, I always like it when we learn stuff from students. So I learn so much from my students because they bring in their passions. Because there are hundreds, thousands of con There's legs. so many yeah. out there. There's one thing we didn't talk about at all, uh-huh. um, but that I know drives a lot of interest in con legs, which is writing systems, right? You know. Cool, sorry. So I just is is that a component of the class as well? Uh, yes, it will be, uh, and that will probably be my day of teaching. Probably. Well, yeah, because you've already taught multiple times a course on writing systems. Yeah. So, did, so of all the writing systems invented, there is not a single non-alphabet out there for, for the con legs. Oh, right! Isn't that crazy? It, it's it's so depressing, and actually, so not, not even a single syllabary. No. Yeah. And at least not that I could find. And Brenna and I, we created a writing system for Wenja. We actually took the Vincha script. Do you know about the Vincha script? No. So it's this it's really pretty. P- possible writing system, but more likely just like this, this kind of um, system of symbols that was used in Eastern Europe. And like we, this goes back like 10,000 years or 8,000 years. They're like super old. This is before. Undeciphered. Undeciphered. This is before cuneiform. Yes. Te- yeah, uh, business accounts. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to show you some some pictures. They're really pretty. Yeah. But uh, well, Vincha for starters sounds so much like Winja. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. We're like, this is just too perfect. So we took the symbols and initially it was like, writing systems don't start with alphabets. Yeah. Right. Let's at least start with a syllabary. And then after a lot of uh, discussions between me and Brenna, she was like, nobody's going to learn this if it's too hard. Right. If you're doing a syllabary, and you know. The syllables in, in Wenja and Azila, the idea was actually that it was Azila, who and those were the guys who invented it because they invented it for religion, and then that was loaned to and the Wenja. And they got agriculture. And right, kind of... but then you have to consider all the possible, like, you know, s- syllables for the language, and so you have to have, what, 900 characters for that thing? So mm-hmm. ultimately we made a, a, an alphabet. But yes, writing systems will be a component of the course. Fantastic. Yes. All right. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for listening. Once again, our guests today were Brenna Reinhardt Bird and Andrew Bird of the University of Kentucky. You can find out more about their course and all of the courses at the LSA 2017 Institute by visiting lsa2017.uky.edu. We are at LSA underscore 2017 on Twitter and 2017 Linguistic Institute on Facebook. We'll be back soon with episode two of this podcast featuring Paul Reed and Nicole Holliday discussing their institute course on intonation and social meaning. 